see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we're especially honored to have you with us. And I'm going to ask all of you to do something for me this morning before you get reading your bulletin or distracted by something else. I want you this morning to use your imagination. It's going to be easier for some than others, but I want you to use your imagination. You may or may not have noticed when you walked in the, through the foyer out there that we're beginning a new sermon series today, a sermon series on faith, and we're going to spend a couple of weeks just talking about faith. And the exercise that I want to begin with and what I'm asking you to do is to use your imagination. I want you to imagine what life would be like if you had absolute confidence, if you were completely, totally convinced, without a shadow of a doubt, that one, there is a God, two, He knows my name, He's a God that knows everything that happens to me, He knows what's in my heart, He knows everything about me, and three, He genuinely loves me and has promised to never forsake me, never leave me, walk with me through whatever may come, that God has made me that promise. What would your life be like if you were so convinced of those things? If something terrible happened, just the worst thing you could think of, and you think to yourself, you know what, this is not how I've chosen, but, but I'm going to trust God. Because I know that there's a God, and He knows me, and He loves me, and He's promised to be with me. No matter how bad things get, I'm just going to trust God. Or if you face some temptation... And you're thinking, God, I don't know how I'm going to overcome this temptation. I don't know how I'm going to resist this. Everything within me kind of is leaning that way. But you know what? I know how powerful you are, God. I know that there's a God. I know you know me. I know you know what's going on. I know you love me. I know you're concerned about helping me. I'm going to trust you to see me through this temptation. Or maybe something really great happens. You know, some really good things come your way. Maybe you... You get some extra money that you weren't planning on. That's a good thing. Maybe you get a promotion kind of out of the blue. Maybe that girl that is so far out of your league finally says yes to your you know, request of a date. Something really good happens. And the kind of thing that sometimes might knock people off center tap a little bit. But, but you pray to God and you say, God, I know that this is you know, kind of a blessing from you and, and I'm praying for some wisdom. I want you to help me use this blessing, and I want to honor you with my decisions. And I want to stay kind of grounded in reality and focused on eternity, and I don't want this to change me in any way. You know, I still want to, I want to trust in you. Imagine if you had that kind of faith, that kind of amazing, supernatural, unbelievable, wow, where did that come from kind of faith. That no matter what happens, you just say, I'm going to put one foot in front of the next. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep trying to do what I think God is asking me to do. I'm going to try to live in the center of God's life. And God, I'm going to trust you. With all these things that are going on around me, I'm just going to trust you. Imagine that. Imagine what life would be like. No fear. No fear at all. Things get bad. God, you know what's going on. You're in control. I'm going to trust you. No anxiety whatsoever. Why should I be anxious? Why should I be nervous? Why should I be afraid? I can't even control my next breath, so I'm just trusting God to see me through this thing. No fear about your kids, no fear about your marriage, no fear about your finances. Not that life is perfect. 
Not that everything always goes your way, but you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there is a God. He knows my name. He's with me every step of the way. Walking with me. and He's going to help me through this and around this and over this. Whatever it might be. Could you imagine having a kind of faith like that? Wouldn't that be kind of incredible? To have people come up to you and say, how do you do that? How do you live that way? Do you even know what's going on around you in the world? Do you even, are you even paying attention to what's going on? How can you live with this kind of peace? And you say, yeah, I know exactly what's going on around me, probably better than you do. But I trust in God. I'm going to trust God. Because I believe there's a God. I believe there's a God who knows me and loves me and who's promised to walk with me through every single thing that might come my way. Wouldn't that be kind of amazing? And maybe you've met people like that. Maybe you've known people with that kind of faith. Maybe it was a parent or a grandparent. You know, maybe you had a grandmother who was just like, wow, whatever happened, she just like totally at ease. She was like, well, we're going to pray about that and God's going to take care of it. And you always thought she was like that because she was so old and she didn't know what was going on. And so you try to explain to her, Grandma, don't you see what's going on? You know, don't you, don't you know what's happening here? And she's just like, yeah, well, God's in control. And I'm just going to leave it to God. Wouldn't that be something to have that kind of faith? Or maybe it's you know, some other Christian that, that you've seen just lives that kind of life. And something happens to them and you think, wow, how are they living through that? And in fact, you start doubting God on their behalf. I'm going to doubt God for you. Now, God, how could you let this happen to this great family? How could you let this happen to this wonderful individual? And they come to you and say, I'm sorry that's shaking your faith, but it's not shaking mine. God's in control. I trust God. There's a God who knows me, who loves me, who has promised to be with me every single step of the way. Now you see that kind of faith in people, that out of the box, over the top, oh my goodness, how do you do that kind of faith? And it is really attractive. And it's a little bit challenging as well. Like I said, we kind of want to sometimes try to shake that kind of faith, you know, kind of shake them back into reality. Have you been paying attention to world events? Have you heard there's an election coming up? Did you even read what the doctor wrote? But I'm just going to trust in God. I'm just leaving it with God. And I'm going to try to do the right thing. I'm going to try to live in God's will. I'm going to put one foot in front of another. And I'm going to try to just live my life faithfully to God. Could you imagine living your life with that kind of peace? and that kind of comfort, and that kind of focus. Now, I say all that as an introduction to tell you that's exactly where God is trying to bring you. That kind of faith, that kind of life, that kind of attitude is exactly where God wants you to be. That's, that's the faith, that's the life that He's calling us to. Take a look at Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians 5, they're, they're kind of arguing about the things that are going to put us right with God. And Paul says this, And we to whom Christ has given eternal life don't need to worry about whether we've been circumcised or not, or whether we're obeying the Jewish ceremonies or not. For all we need is faith, working through love. All we need is faith, working through love. You know, when you read the story of the Bible, Old Testament and New, the story of the Bible is God 
trying to instill in us, instill in our hearts, a complete, total faith in Him. That unbelievable, out of the box, over the top, oh my goodness, how do you do that? Kind of faith in God. That's the story of the Bible. And the reason that's the story of the Bible is you go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And the thing that fractured the relationship between God and mankind wasn't exactly a lack of obedience, it was a lack of trust. The thing that fractured that relationship between God and mankind was a lack of trust. Yeah, there was no obedience there too, for sure, but there's more than that going on. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they weren't trusting God to be who God said He was. And that's the same thing that's been fracturing our relationship ever since. We don't trust God. God, I think you're not telling me the whole story, so I can't trust you. God, I think you have an agenda that maybe I'm not aware of, so I can't trust you. God, I think maybe I know what's best for me. I don't think you really have my very best interests at your heart, so I can't trust you. What's destroyed the relationship between mankind and God is a lack of trust. It leads to sin, for sure. God doesn't know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. God's way can't be the best way. My way has got to be the best way, so I'm going to trust in me. I'm not going to trust in God. But here's the deal. Ever since the Garden of Eden, God has been doing, God has done, God continues to do everything He possibly can to restore that relationship with us, to heal that relationship, to bring back our trust in Him. Now, if it's trust that fractured this thing, lack of trust that fractured this thing, it's a, it's a restoration of trust that's going to put it back together. And God desperately wants a relationship with us. And God desperately wants us to trust Him completely, totally, over the top, no questions asked. Now, we open up the New Testament and we start reading about Jesus. And the message of Jesus in the New Testament is not, here's ten more commandments for you to keep hoping handle it. The message of Jesus in the New Testament is not, here's a whole bunch of do's and don'ts, and if you can keep 75% of them, then you might have a chance. Back up a couple chapters in Galatians to Galatians 2. Paul writes this in verse 16. And yet we Jewish Christians know that we become right with God, not by doing what the law commands, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we've believed in Christ Jesus that we might be accepted by God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law, for no one will ever be saved by obeying the law. Paul says we become right with God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. The driving message of Scripture is God saying, I want you to have faith in me. I want you to trust me. I want you to put your complete trust, your wholehearted faith, no questions asked. I'm going to take care of you, your faith in me and my son Jesus. I want you to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the Savior, the Christ. I want you to trust him. I want your faith to be in Jesus. Let me state the obvious. 
in any relationship, the more trust there is, the better that relationship becomes. The more we trust each other, the deeper, the stronger, the, the better the relationship becomes. Any relationship. And we know that in our lives, right? You know, you're, you're, you're supposed to meet your wife somewhere and, and supposed to be, she's supposed to be there at 9 o'clock and she's not there at 9 o'clock. Well, where is she? I don't know. Someone says, oh, your wife didn't meet you here, huh? Oh, she's, 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 maybe she's out doing something terrible. What? No, she's not doing something terrible. Why do you know? Because I trust her. Because we have a trust. Well, what's she doing? I don't know. Your teenager was supposed to be home at 7 o'clock. He's not home. Ooh, maybe he's uh, hijacking a car. What? No. He's not hijacking a car. Well, what's he doing? Where is he? I don't know. But we have a trust. I trust him. I trust him. You know, I trust my wife. I trust my children when they do exactly what I think they're going to do and what I you know, kind of imagine them doing. And I trust them when they really surprise me and do something that I didn't imagine. Or, or, you know, I trust them. And we get that, right? The more trust there is, the deeper that relationship. And of course, that trust can be broken. But if, but if that trust hasn't been broken, I'll trust you know, my friends. I'll, I'll trust the people that I work with. I'll trust you know, my wife, my children. Because they've proven they're trustworthy. And so that relationship becomes stronger and stronger. And we get that with marriages and parents and kids and you know, employers and employees. That's the nature of a great relationship. For us to reach a point in our lives, God wants us to reach a point in our lives where we say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Even when I don't understand what's going on. I'm going to trust you. Even when you don't answer my prayers the way that I think they should be answered, I'm going to trust you. Even when I can't explain what's happening, I'm going to trust you. Now, with all that in mind, I want to take a look at an interesting section of Scripture. That was just the introduction to the introduction. So, we're getting there. Flip over to Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has a very unusual reaction to a request that's made of him. You know, you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see over and over again just how fascinating Jesus is. I mean, Jesus is amazing. He does amazing things, and he amazes people. And I've had conversations with people before who have asked, was there anything that ever amazed Jesus? Was Jesus ever astounded? Did Jesus ever say, wow, did not see that coming? And actually, Jesus is amazed sometimes in Scripture. And we're going to look at the time right here in Matthew chapter 8. Now, I'll tell you right up front, Jesus isn't amazed by someone's great obedience. That's not what amazes him. He's amazed by someone's great faith. He's not amazed by great obedience. He doesn't say, wow, did you see that guy not commit adultery? That's amazing. Did you see that woman not lie? She's amazing. He's amazed by great faith. Here's a story. Picking it up in verse 5. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him. Okay, you've been in church long enough to know that a centurion is a Roman soldier who has a hundred other soldiers under him. He's a soldier with some authority. A centurion came to him asking for help. 
So Jesus and his followers are entering the town of Capernaum. And here comes a Roman centurion approaching. Kind of a laser beam focus here, you know, make an eye contact. I want to interact with you, Jesus. And if you're Jesus' followers, you're probably thinking, this isn't going to be good. Now, they were used to people approaching Jesus, not so much Roman centurions approaching Jesus. He probably had a couple other soldiers with him. I don't know. But he's coming towards Jesus. And you know that feeling you get when you're about to interact with somebody in authority that you don't really see eye to eye with? You know, you're in grade school, and the principal comes by and says, I want to talk to you. Well, this isn't going to be good. No, your boss walks by and says, you know, in my office. Well, that's not going to be good. Policeman knocks on your, you know, your window or your door. Um, can you step outside, please? I need to speak to you. So I'm thinking the disciples are probably going, hey, why does this guy want to talk to us? You know, hey, Peter, what did you say now? You know, what did you do? You know, we don't want to talk to this guy because remember, the Romans are the bad guys. The Jews in the first century hated the Romans. I mean, they hated them. Rome was in control. They were under Rome's authority. Rome was the, was the power that was keeping them, in their minds, from being the people that God called them to be. They were supposed to be you know, the, the, the world power, like, like back when David was around. Rome was the one who was um, you know, forcing all these exorbitant taxes on them. Rome was the one who would come by and say, you, you, and you, come with me, and you'd never see them again. The Jews in the first century hated the Romans. They're, they're the bad guys. They're not the good guys. So, this Roman, pagan, godless, law-breaking heathen approaches Jesus and says, I need your help. Verse 6. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Again, you have to remember just how much the Jews despised the Romans. My servant is at home. He's paralyzed. He's in terrible suffering. And if I'm one of the disciples, I'm probably thinking, good. I hope he dies. And I hope whatever's causing it's contagious and you get it. And your whole family gets it. And your whole family dies. Because we're sure enough not coming to your house to help a Roman. Right, Jesus? We're not doing that. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. And the disciples have to be thinking, whoa, 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 no. You will not go and heal him. We'll go heal some Jews, but we're not healing Romans. You know, we're on pretty thin ice as it is with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. You go helping a Roman, this thing is not going to end well. No, we can't go help a Roman, Jesus. Jesus says, I'll go heal him. You want me to come to your house? I'll come to your house. You want me to heal him? I'll heal him. Verse 8. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And the disciples are probably thinking, you're, you're right there, finally. You don't deserve to have us under your roof. You know, we don't want to be under your roof. But listen to what he says. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. I've been watching you, Jesus. And I don't think you need to be in my home to heal my servant. I think you can do it from right here. I think you can do it remotely. I think you can do it wirelessly. 
You just say the word from right here, where we're standing, and my servant will be healed. Verse 9. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. For I myself am a man under authority. Implication. Jesus, you and I have something in common. I have a hundred men serving under me. And I can tell any one of those hundred men, I want you to go do that, and they go do it. I can tell any one of those hundred men, I want you to come do this, and they come do it. No questions asked. I say jump, they say how high. I tell men what to do, and they do it. There's a hundred men who do what I tell them to do, and they obey me, not because I'm really rich, not because of my own physical stature, not because I'm so smart. They obey me because I represent Rome. And when the power of Rome says you do it, you do it. And I've been watching you, Jesus. Illness obeys you. You speak to illness and it obeys. You speak to nature and it obeys. It's changed. It's altered. You speak to demons and they obey you. You have a power within you. You have a power behind you. I get my way because I have the power of Rome behind me. I represent a higher power, the centurion says. But there's something else going on within you. There's some other power within you. There's some other power working behind you. You represent something else, someone else. So no, you don't have to come to my house. I am completely convinced you just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was what? Astonished. Another version says he was amazed. Another version says he was astounded. I might say he was blown away. Jesus is amazed. He's blown away. And again, he's not blown away by this guy's obedience. What's blown him away? What's amazed Jesus? His faith. His trust. He said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great, what? Faith. Jesus is saying, wow, I wish everybody here had the faith of that guy. I haven't found anyone in Israel with the faith of that guy. Peter, James, John, Matthew, I wish you were like that guy. I wish you had his faith. And again, who is that guy? He's a Roman. He's not a Jew. He's not a Pharisee. He's not a teacher of the law. He's not a believer as far as we know yet. He doesn't know the Ten Commandments. He probably doesn't know any of the commandments. He doesn't read the Torah. He doesn't spend all of his time in the temple. He's not even allowed in the temple. And yet Jesus says, I haven't seen that kind of faith anywhere. This guy, this Roman, knew that Jesus was a man with authority. He knew that Jesus was a man that had tremendous power behind him. And it wasn't the law. And the power wasn't Rome. 
And it wasn't military power. It wasn't some educational thing. It wasn't anything that really could be explained. Other than this Roman centurion knew, you have the power of God working in you and working through you. So no, don't come to my house. But if you would speak the word, my servant will be healed. And Jesus is amazed. And what amazes Jesus is this guy's unbelievable, out-of-the-box, over-the-top, oh my goodness, are you kidding me, faith. This man's trust in God, trust in God working through Jesus. Faith that allowed him to know, Jesus, if you say it, it's going to happen. If you promise it, it's going to come true. If you're with me, or if you're not with me, if you're in my house or if you're not in my house, if you want it to happen, it's going to happen. That's the kind of faith that God's calling us to. That's the kind of faith that would allow us to live like I told you to imagine at the beginning of this thing. The kind of faith that would allow us to have people say, wow, how do you do it? How can you get through this? I believe there's a God. I believe God knows everything about me and loves me and He cares about me. And I believe that God has promised that He'll walk with me through anything. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. And I believe God will keep that promise. Of course, we know how this story ends if you skip down to verse 13. Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at the very hour. God wants to reinstill or instill that trust in Him. God wants to blow up our faith. Wherever your faith is, God wants you to have so much more faith. And as hard as it is for us to understand or imagine or even kind of try to explain, the God who created the universe, who spoke the world into existence, says, I want to have a relationship with you, Tim. I want you, Tim. I want you to trust me. Yeah, but I want you to trust me. But you don't. But I want you to trust me. But this is hard. The Bible never says life's not going to be hard. Just the opposite. It kind of promises it will be. This is hard. I don't want to. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about this report. I don't know how to pay this bill. I don't know what to do about my, about my, my marriage, my kids, my, you know, my job situation. What do I do? And God says, trust me. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me when things play out just like they should, which is easy, by the way. Pretty easy to trust God. I got great faith when everything's coming my way. Jesus is Lord. Cash the check. But God says, I want you to trust me when you're blindsided by life. When you have nowhere else to turn, I want you to turn to me. I want you to have this giant, laser-focused, huge, out-of-the-box, over-the-top, oh-my-goodness kind of faith. You know, it's a little bit ironic. You read the New Testament, and if we were living back in first century Palestine, if we were you know, living in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Caesarea or you know, Capernaum or somewhere, the people that we would point to as the ones who are closest to God, if, we, you, know, if you were asked somebody on the streets back in the first century Palestine, who knows the law the best? 
Who are the experts at the word? You know, they'd, they'd point to the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers. Who are the most holy people you know? They'd point to those same people. And yet, those individuals that everyone else thought was closer to God than anyone never did recognize Jesus. They never recognized Jesus. And I think part of that was because they were convinced they didn't really need Jesus. They had the answers. People came to them for help. They didn't go to anyone else. You know, God's kind of lucky to have me on His team, not the other way around. They never lived in a day-by-day, moment-to-moment dependence on God. Never had to say, God, I don't know what this next step is going to bring, but I'm going to take it, and I'm going to take it in Your will, and I'm going to trust You to be with me the next step as well. They never did that. And then Jesus comes along and says, let me introduce you to my new friend, this Roman centurion. He didn't know anything about the Torah. Probably never read it. He doesn't know the Ten Commandments. He doesn't spend time in the temple. He doesn't know the order of events in the synagogue. He doesn't know your language. He doesn't know all those things that you're so comfortable with. But let me tell you what he does know. He knows there's a God. And he knows that there's a personal God. And he believes that that personal God wants the best for him. And if God says it, he'll do it. And if God promises, it'll happen. And Jesus, if you just say the word, my servant will be healed. That's the kind of faith that God is calling us to. That no matter what's going on in your life, what's going on in the world, what's going on in your family, say, God, I'm going to trust in you. People might think I'm crazy, but I'm going to trust in you. I needed this lesson this morning. I needed to be reminded that just trust God. We talk about it, but I needed to be reminded to walk in it. Because we walk by faith, not by sight. Maybe you needed it too. I don't know. If you did, if something's going on in your life that you'd like the prayers of people who love you, there's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium. We'd love to meet with you and pray with you, anything that we can do. You could come to the front and meet us while we stand and sing.